The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. This is the Straight Up Breakdown Podcast. Exclusively on the Herd App Media Network. Tell it to me straight up. Hello and welcome into the Straight Up Breakdown Podcast, probably part of the Hill Varsity Network. I am Greg Smith. You are, I cannot wait to get outside today to enjoy this alleged 90 degree day that we're going to have today after so much cold weather, friend. Um, today I am joined by a special guest, um, Hill Varsity editor Mike Babcock. Mike, thank you for joining the show. How are you this morning? I'm doing okay. You know, I would replace special with old. Uh, <laughs> change that adjective and then you'd be they'd be spot on. Yeah, you know, I, oh, I would not have gone with old. I would have said like seasoned veteran. <laughs> like I, I think there are there yeah. are ways to like nice that up, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, so so it's Qualified not just old, right? right? Yeah, yeah. There's there's yeah. different ways to to get that across. Um, so do you have a good weekend? Anything exciting happen for you this weekend? Well, I did mow most of the yard uh, and uh, pull some weeds in between. You know, getting ready for Husker baseball. I I uh, um, the Big Ten Big Ten Network Plus um, provides cover when when games are not televised. You know, either by NET or uh, by the Big Ten Network, the regular Big Ten Network, or Fox, or any of those, um, they're on BTN Plus. So, uh, in order to cover the games, I always watch the uh, I watch the games and keep a scorebook, I, which I've done for a long time. Uh, when I was a kid, I used to keep scorebooks when I listened to the radio. I'd listen to Kansas City Royals games, and I'd keep scorebook for those games. And uh, but so I keep scorebook for the games, and then I sort of look through the three games. Or in some cases, I've had a couple of four-game pod weekends and um, you know, prepare to uh, write my story uh, on Sunday nights for for Monday. So, you know, that's my weekends have been sort of taken up by that. And because of the pandemic, I don't go to the don't go to the games yet um, because the post game is still handled by Zoom. So, okay. uh, even for the home games, uh, and they allow access to reporters, and they've uh, a handful of do go. And they're socially distanced, but again, the the post game is all done by Zoom. So I find it just as easy to do it from home, and you know, not put one more person in the uh, in the press area. Gotcha. Yeah, it's interesting too. I mean, it's not to not to do what I always do on this show, just derail the conversation um, in a good way. Um, but it's funny that you mentioned um, listening to baseball games on the radio and like keeping a scorebook because that's actually, in a way, that's actually how I gotta got like my love of sports and really kind of radio and now podcasting kind of comes from that. And it's, it's funny to explain to someone younger than me. So like, even like say Derek Peterson, who works with us at Hill varsity, right. To probably to explain to him that even I used to sit around and like, listen to like Chicago white Sox games on the radio all the time. And I have vivid memories of doing that. We used to like record them with a tape cassette. And then like me and my friends would go back and listen to them. Um, and it seems crazy. 
crazy now to like, explain that to someone. Um, but that's also how I kind of really got into sports is doing that. Um, I don't watch as much baseball anymore, um, at least major league. I follow along with the Huskers um, more because like it's part of work, but not since I don't cover them. But so it's a little bit more fun for me to cut to like kind of enjoy them now. Um, I am trying. I say this all the time. And if you've listened to this podcast long enough, I'm trying to get back into baseball because I do enjoy it. I just don't have, it's weird. I don't have the same connection to it because I'm not home in Chicago to watch the games on TV or go to them. Like for some reason for me, it does not translate as well, say doing like, what is it? The extra innings package or anything like that. And watching the White Sox on my TV here versus when I go and visit my dad at home, I'll watch the game with him in his house and be just fine. It's just different and it's weird. I don't know how to quite explain that. I saw some White Sox games at that old Comiskey Park. Yeah. Briefly, you know, I uh, drove up by myself and just uh, went to the ball game, and that was good. But, you know, the the other thing about keeping score, um, I kept score of basketball games on television, um, and they weren't that many that were carried, but when they were, I'd do them. And then uh, when I lived uh, in California briefly, they had the uh, Golden State Warriors on. I lived in Northern California, and I did those games. And, and that was kind of how I kept track of my favorite players because my favorite player was Elgin Baylor, and he played for the Lakers. And, of course, Smart I was man. a rivalry with the Warriors. So, uh, uh, And uh, my distaste for the uh, Lakers has changed now that Elgin Baylor is no longer with them. <laughs> um, I still have those scorebooks. Uh Oh, wow. Stored away somewhere of the of the games, and especially again, Elgin Baylor was my guy. Um, I think I might have a oh gosh, the Warriors didn't really have any names that you'd necessarily recognize. Fred Hetzel was one of their one of their guys, a the guy from Duke who was, but uh, but I was always Elgin Baylor. I I followed followed him as as little as you could when he was at the University of Seattle. Mm-hmm. Um, he was an All American there, and, and I got all the magazines and read about Elgin Baylor and and uh when I played I tried to do a little uh jump shot step that he <laughs> took he kind of lean forward and back and then jump up and shoot I wasn't very good at it but uh he he was a very he's a great player I really enjoyed watching him play yeah, he definitely was. Um, now, listen, each week we, we go through um, and we have a couple of segments um, that are mainstays on the show. The first one is called Coach Speak, uh, where we go over something that a coach, player, or a talking head said, and we give you the straight-up breakdown of what they meant. Coach Speak to Real Talk. Um, this week, I'm going to throw a little curveball, pun intended, because it comes courtesy of Nebraska baseball overall. Um, now, they've been really good um, in Coach Will Boat's first season. I think they're now 20-7 and seven, um, after this weekend series. They are in first place in the Big Ten. Um, and a lot of people are starting to tune into them now or really lock in on their season and how it's been going. Um, and something that I, I read from you uh, over the weekend, Mike, is that their slogan this year has been Gritty Beats Pretty. Right. And Mm -hmm. so I I wanted to get your take on that and what that really means, because you cover the team closely. So what does it actually mean when this team says um, that gritty beats pretty? Well, you know, uh, Coach Bolt has said that they keep a chart in the dugout of grit plays and uh, grit plays would be a, a play that doesn't necessarily show up in the box score. Or if it does show up in the box score, it's just a number. It's not something that you 
I mean, you look at the box score, it's like, wow, you know, look at the home runs, look at the extra base hits, look at the, you know, that guy was four for five or whatever. But the, those are not grit plays. Grit plays are like, um, do you hit a, with a runner at first base uh, and you're, you're looking for a run, um, do you hit the ball uh, in the air to move him up in some way? Other than not, not just, you know, a sacrifice bunt could be a grit play. Um, or a stolen base could be a grit play in a certain situation, or taking an extra base when you had the opportunity, or a good example yesterday uh, in the uh, in the nine to six 12 inning win was uh, in the 12th, um, there was, uh, let's, let me get this straight now. Uh, Michigan State had a runner at third base and one out in the 12th and fly ball to, uh, uh, let's see, I'm, I'm gonna get this wrong, but here, here's the essence of it. Um, the third out was a throw on a single to center from Jackson Hallmark. He threw the runner out at home plate. Yeah. Okay, and uh, that, was the runner might have been at second base and he was trying to score from second, but but that was a grit play. I mean, he, he made a great throw. If he hadn't made that throw and got that guy at home plate, which often doesn't is not the case when you had a base hit, you know, that's what you're looking for to drive in that run. Um, if he hadn't made that throw, there would have been no there would have been no 12th inning. That was in the in the 11th. I think I said 12th. That was in the 11th. So Nebraska got another bat. Nebraska had an opportunity then. And uh, and scored three runs, which began with a walk and a stolen base, you know. And then the catcher threw the ball wild over the over the uh, second baseman's head, and the runner moved to third. So there's a grit play. You steal the base, you draw the throw. It goes over the go, goes over the second baseman or the shortstop whoever's covering, and you get to third base. And then a base hit, and you score. And Nebraska takes the lead, and then they get a you know. Efre uh, Cervantes, uh, who follows up with a two-run single, and I think he had been 0 for his last 29. Oh, wow. You know, he steps up and he gets a two-run <laughs> single in that situation. They don't bat for him. Um, you know, those are kind of grit plays, guys that are stepping up. You know, when you could be frustrated by the fact that, hey, I haven't been able to get a hit here. You know, things are just not going well. And you're in that situation and you get some insurance runs from a guy who drives in two runs with a single. Or, you know – just the simple thing of mindset, you know, Nebraska got off to a six to nothing lead after two innings in that game yesterday. And uh, all of a sudden, because of walks, same thing that helped them get that lead um, because of walks and so forth, Michigan state scored three runs in the third, um, three runs in the fourth or three runs in the bottom of the third and three runs in the fourth or in, in the third and uh, tied it up. And then they scrapped all the way. Nebraska struck out like in the game 22 times, 22 times. Wow. But they had the drive to come back and get the job done in the 12th inning. You know, it's just an attitude. And, and like I said, they keep track of these plays. You know, I, I don't know one of the, one of the players is, keeps track of them. And uh, it could be anything. It could be defense. It could be run of the bases. It could be a base hit in a certain situation. Uh, by somebody that hasn't had some success. It's just guys stepping up at certain times and just grinding it out. And the, 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 the significance of it, I think, in part is 
um, that's the way Will Bolt played when he was a Husker. You yeah, know, absolutely. Correct. You know, and and I think his team characterizes that because you know here's a frustration. This team comes in leading the leading the uh, Big Ten in batting average, batting a two ninety six, and you come into this thing and you're you're having all kinds of problems getting base hits. You know, but they stay with it. They get a good pitching effort uh, from Cade Povich in the first game. Uh, Chance Roach, you know, does a pretty good job in the second game. Gives them six innings, but gets no, you know, he gives up. Uh, it turns out he gives up four runs, three of Mern, but Nebraska can only score two and it had been averaging almost eight runs a game. You know, it's, it's just that mindset, just stay with it. And, uh, you know, I've won all the, all the conference series uh, to this point. There was a four-game uh, pod where they went two and two, but um, they've won all the series other, and, uh, other than that. And, uh, you know, they've just – they've got it done. Just, you know, it's Larry the Cable Guy kind of attitude, you know, <laughs> get her done. That's Yeah, and it's, it's, it's interesting, too, because that is – it's something that we talk about a lot in sports when you have um, a new coach come in, right? A new coach, new manager comes in, and you always talk about that that coach wants to put their imprint on a team. They want their culture. They want, you know, the team to take on the personality of the coach. There's all those little kind of sports cliches that happen that are true, right, in these cases. Um, but it feels like Will Bolt has found a way to really tap into that with this team. And I'm glad that you brought the point up of, of that's how he played. And that's exactly so that that makes total sense as to why then he would prefer that style of play or want his team to embody that. Um, but the fact that the team has really picked up on that so quickly and that, that that's really taken hold, I think has been really interesting to watch. Like even as much as, you know, piling up the wins has been cool. And that is great that that's the ultimate goal um, to get that far along and building that type of culture and also to have that mindset this quickly is just really impressive like that has to like when you start thinking about like coach of the year type of situations and things like that um and awards like he has to be way up there will both um just based on that alone and then of course the results have been, have followed that um but i think that that's something to me that the having that, you know, gritty beats pretty and having that type of really, we're going to always persevere through adversity. Like we're just not going to get too high. We're not going to get too low. Those are the sorts of things that can carry you and sustain you in games like you were just talking about where, you know, they come in leading the league and batting average, but they're having um, some struggles getting hits. Okay. In the back of our minds, we know that we'll come through this on the other side because a, we've done it before B we're mentally tough, right? It also is a way I think a sustainable, sustainable way to build your team okay which I think is an even bigger point even though they have a lot of really good recruits coming in in this next year right and there's a lot of local kids that are coming in or are transferring um, and it's amazing to see that happen but when you're trying to also get by and build to that where you're hoping to elevate the talent level having this kind of foundation I think really sets you up for good long-term success. Yeah, you know, I think so. And then one of you mentioned the, the recruiting. One of the things that impressed me um, is that the, the number of Nebraska kids that he has on the team. Oh, yeah. he, um, I think I looked at the original roster, the spring roster going into the season. And obviously, not all these guys make the road trips and not all these guys play and whatever. But I think there were 17 guys from Nebraska on that roster. 
And I, I really think that you have to have that as a, as a base, a foundation. Because I think bat, I think bat, baseball is pretty good in this state. Yeah, it definitely is. Yeah. You know, I've, I've, I've been involved in, in Legion baseball for years here. And, I, you know, I've seen a lot of these guys play, actually. Um, and uh, I just think that that's important. That's an important part of it. The other thing is when you come in, you know, it, it's easy. You know, I think a lot of teams – a lot of coaches probably say these things. Okay, I mean, I, um, you know, I don't want to make it sound like uh, you know Will Bolt has an idea that nobody else has come up with, or as a coach that nobody else has had, um, and they they might call it something different. But um, the thing that I, so we're twenty seven games into the season now, and I've seen it. Okay, when when you start the season. You know, you can say those things, and it's like, well, you know, okay, this is the way they're going to be. You know, they're going to believe in these things, and you know, players are going to say that they're buying in and everything. But you, but you, it takes time to see it. And there have been 27 games where I've seen it. Now, put it in context. Nebraska's schedule is is backloaded. I think. I mean, they've got the Huskers have four games coming up still with Indiana, and they've got the three game series with Michigan to finish the season. And that's in Haymarket Park. Um, so um, the, the schedule is, is gets harder as you get down the line. And, you know, can Nebraska get through that? I think part of the advantage is that now you've had these 27 games to build this mentality that no matter what happens, we're going to come back. We're going to get it done somehow. Um, and, uh, and, it, and so that's the reason, I think, for optimism down the stretch. But you know, they. One of the players told us in one of the weekly midweek Zoom conferences. You know, I was asked about where they stood and how they were winning, and at that point they'd won four or five or whatever. And he said, he said, and I, I don't think he was just saying this. He said, you know, we let sports writers keep track of that stuff. We don't keep track of that stuff. We just keep track of what the next day is supposed to bring for us, and the next day might be a scrimmage during. Uh, on, on Tuesdays, you know, you know, getting ready because there are no midweek games. Um, it's like one game at a time, focus, focus, focus. And I think this is a focus group. Yeah. And that's, and I think that that is always, that's always the goal. Um, I think to have a team like that, right. That is, that is always focused on just the next thing that, and, and it's funny because you said this too, like a lot of teams say this like pro college, high school, whatever people say, and like, it's not new. Like we're not reinventing, but it is very, it's really interesting to be able to actually hear it and then see it come into practice. Right. And it, it, it I think it's really cool when you get to see that come through and you see it like you just stick with a Nebraska example, you see it in volleyball all the time like you see the different slogans that they have and how that kind of manifests itself um, throughout their season um, and they continue um, to just chop wood day after day week after week match after match and I think that if you do that enough and that's just the expectation of what it's going to be like in that program and for that team. I think that that helps everything because what ends up when it really end up happening for baseball is, is okay. This foundation is kind of poured that gritty beats pretty and that we're going to always have, we're going to beat adversity. We're going to be mentally tough. We're going to take it one day at a time. Well, what happens when this crop of recruits comes in and you've got a couple of guys um, that are borderline MLB draft picks and we'll see a couple of them really could get selected 
drafted in the MLB draft and have real decisions on their minds um, or on their hands before they get to Nebraska. Let's say they all make it to Nebraska, but they know the expectation when they get here, right? They know what's going with that. They, they step foot on campus. They know that they have how they have to behave and how they have to conduct business. And I think that because it's, a positive thing that can really help Will Bolt in, in trying to continue to keep this going and push this forward. Um, I think they've got really something really interesting going. I think that as the hopefully the weather continues to <laughs> go on the trajectory it's going more and and kind of the restrictions are kind of changed. You'll get more and more people out there. And I think um, Nebraska fans obviously always support their athletics, and so people will continue going out there um, and continue to support this team. You know, I think something really cool is happening, and I think that I think that. Husker fans have been starved for a more competitive baseball program to begin with. Um, because even when going back to, and now I'm going to now be started off talking about you being seasoned, I will make myself old and seasoned. And that like, when I first got to Nebraska, I came here when Alex Gordon was here. So my introduction to <laughs> Nebraska athletics was a really Nebraska baseball being really, really good. Like that was kind of what I got introduced as um, here. So I've always followed along with them since I've been here and hopefully they're trending kind of in that direction if they stay on this path. A Nebraska guy too. Alex right. Gordon, Java <laughs> Chamberlain, Brian Dunsing, Daniel Bruce, and I'm going to quit saying these names because I forget somebody, but there, you know, there were Nebraska guys, Andy Gersh, there were Nebraska guys that made a significant contribution to those rosters. It was oh, yeah. important. There was a good foundation there. But yeah, and you know, those were those were good teams. And again, the ones that both played, the last two that both played on, um, college World Series team. And, right. And, uh, and then one after Van Horn left. That's still. Yeah. And so I guess we're gonna, I'm going to change uh, gears a little bit here. And I want to stick in college athletics, though, because uh, the, the main topic that we want to get to here is I, I want to get into kind of this, this idea of kind of a changing of the guard in college athletics. Let's break that down. Um, and, and we've seen some examples of this. So um, here recently, there was a story actually here going around and me, I'll put it in the show notes. I forget the actual publication, um, but I will find it and put it in the show notes. Um, it was a softball story making the rounds about the unequal treatment um, between the women's collegiate softball tournament and the college world series um, and kind of detailing um, how softball up until very recently um, didn't have showers um, at the facility. They basically played their games, got on the bus, went back to the hotels. Like there weren't bathrooms at the facility um, or in the dugouts. There weren't bathrooms. They had to go to the public bathroom and get the porta potty situation. Like it was a bad deal. Right. Um, and then there was also obviously the volleyball debacle that made a lot of news around here, not just because Nebraska volleyball was in it, but also uh, Omaha was hosting um, the tournament. Then there was the women's hoops debacle before that, um, where you saw the gift bags and the um, weightlifting um, situation. Um, but it also goes beyond that. It goes beyond a, a gender discrepancy, too. We saw football players uh, recently this over this last year kind of speak up about different social movements. We saw football players speak up about at various schools around the country about their treatment or what they thought was a lack of treatment during COVID um, and kind of those protocols that was not at Nebraska. Nebraska did a good job with that. Um, and, and so, Mike, what I wanted to get to you was, is like, how have you seen this play out um, kind of in your time of covering sports, I guess, which, as you said, goes a long way. But these things, to me, 
have rapidly changed. I don't even think in the last five or 10 years that you would have seen college players speaking out about some of the things that they've spoken out about um, just over the last year. I don't think that would have happened even five years ago. No, I don't think so. I think you're right, Greg. And it, so I'll, I'll, I'll recount one one story, a very short story that that came to mind when when the volleyball when there was questions about how the volleyball tournament was handled and you know how the how the women's uh, situation was so much different than the men's and the NCAA tournaments the way they did things. Um, again, when I was at the Lincoln Journal and Star, one of my beats was volleyball and. Uh, Terry Pettit uh, was the coach and volleyball coach. And I always enjoyed talking to Coach Pettit. And, and actually, we had a pretty good connection, uh, probably connected with him as well as any coach I've ever dealt with. And um, so I spent time, I'd go over to his office and talk about his team and we'd sit. And uh, what I remember is his office initially was basically in the, in the Coliseum uh, in a janitor's closet. I mean, it was like his desk was one place and then there was like a big pipe or something and he had to look around it to see his assistants. Um, and when he went out to practice, because um, I watched a practice or two that they had, um, when they went out to practice, they had to clear the court at the Coliseum first of guys that were out there playing intramural basketball, I think fraternities or whatever. They were out there. Um, you know, because the main court at the at the Coliseum was the basketball court where the Huskers used to play. Yep. Um, and uh, and so guys were out there playing uh, uh, intramural uh, basketball, and Coach Pettit would have to say, "Hey guys, it's time for our practice," and then he would have to tote out the nets and set them all up and whatever after the guys got off the court um, uh, before he could begin practice. Now, how was how that? equitable. How is that fair? You know, we never complained about it. Probably if he had complained, um, Bob Devaney was the athletic director there. I think Bob was, uh, you know, I don't think Bob knew a lot about volleyball. I don't think that, and I'm, I'm not criticizing Bob. I have tremendous respect for Bob. Uh, uh, it's one of the blessings of my job that I got to know Bob Devaney. Uh, but I, I don't think that he paid much attention, you know, just let Terry Pettit get the job done. Uh, you know, that's that's all I care about. Um, and I think it was rare that you would see him at a volleyball match. And I, th I think I remember one of the first times he went, uh, he left after a couple of sets because he thought it was over. I mean, he didn't really understand the dynamic of the, of the game itself. But, but going back to the situation, just to get a practice, you've got to get intramural players off the court right. so you can set up your nets. So you can practice. I mean, that, that, that made no sense then. Uh, and certainly in the context now, you understand why, why things are changing. They have to because it's been this way for a long time. And uh, again, I don't, I don't know that uh, Terry Pettit ever complained. Uh, even within the programs, the women's programs, I remember I wrote a column in the newspaper saying that Terry Pettit, who was winning national championships and – and, and a national competitor winning conference championships every year um, with volleyball wasn't as paid as much as the women's basketball coach, uh, who wasn't paid as much as you know any other men's coach probably. But um, 
so I wrote a column saying, well, you know, Coach Pettit ought to be paid at least the, the same amount within the, within the women's programs. And uh, that was the only time that the, the Vanny ever got really mad at me, called me up and swore at me and whatever, hung up the phone on me and uh, because he said I was making him look bad. But, you know, you look at it now, John Cook is the most successful coach in the in the athletic department consistently, right? I mean, oh, yeah, yeah. Reason is that unreasonable to say, um, and yet he's what his salary is what six hundred and seventy five thousand, seven hundred thousand, or whatever. I mean, it's not if you compare it to others. And I, you know, I understand that some of it has to do with revenue that's generated by the sports. That I mean, that's a that's a reality that you have to accept um, in terms of coaches, but you don't accept you don't have to accept it in terms of the student athlete. Correct. Um, um, if so if football generates all this money, um, that doesn't mean that football players necessarily deserve to be treated differently than student athletes and other sports. Um, the coaches do. The coaches make more money because they generate more money. But um, the student athlete has to be treated across the board, I think, uh, in a fair and equitable way. I mean, that's the nature of – that's why we had uh, – Title IX instituted in what, 1972? 1972 seems like a long time for young people, but you know, I can remember um, going back to that time. The NCAA wasn't doing women's sports until the early 80s, wasn't sponsoring them. It was a AIAW. Um, not all that long ago in my mindset, right. um, because again, I'm old, but, but these things needed to be changed. And uh, in some sense, it's been a slow process. Yeah, and it's been, that's, to me, it is, it, it's interesting, too, because I think that on one hand, it does feel like it's been a slow process, and it's been a long time, but then on some hand, it, it feels like it has not um, been that long, as, as you said, but I think that the main thing is that, and, and what we've seen in particular with the different tournament treatment um, and the facilities and venues and that sort of thing, is that it, it doesn't have to be that way and it shouldn't be that way considering what the NCAA's like branding and messaging is. I couldn't imagine like going back to Terry Pettit's time of like now I'm picturing in my mind as you were saying that I'm picturing John Cook having to go shoe intramural basketball off of the court while Lawrence Difference stands on the side to wait to practice. Like I couldn't even I can't even fathom that um, <laughs> at this point. Um, and, and so on one hand, like things have changed, but on the other hand, you have to that was just so far to come and we still have such a long way to go in a lot of these cases but in a lot of times I feel like this is actually a in a larger NCAA issue versus it being a school issue because you said that you know obviously the coaches are paid different salaries and then that's true Scott Frost and John Cook make significantly different amounts of money but Adrian Martinez and Lawrence Difference are not treated vastly differently by the University of Nebraska, right? Like they right. both have access to world-class things. All the like it would be like the way the NCA handles it, it would be as if Adrian Martinez gets the training table, all the tutoring in the world. There are all sorts of other things, but let's just keep it to those things. But Lawrence Difference gets no access to the tutors and doesn't get the training table, right? That's how the NCAA treats that. The the school obviously does not do that 
that. And most schools, I would assume at this point, I don't, I'm not like intimately aware of all things that all schools do in the way that I am Nebraska. So I don't know for sure, but I would assume, otherwise we probably would have heard about it, that like Texas volleyball and football players, for example, are not treated so vastly differently that volleyball players would be upset. Like it, but when you get to the NCAA level, for some reason, that's how they do it. And, and it's almost like, and I saw someone explain it this way, it's almost the, in the way that the NCAA treats these situations as if we are excited to do all of the things with the men's sports and we just have to do the stuff with women's sports just to check a box. Like that's what it ends up being. And I think that's why they keep getting called out and rightfully so when it comes to all of those situations. Now, when it comes to on the flip side, the other thing that I mentioned about athletes feeling like they can speak out and step up and say different things about any number of things. I think that that has been a really interesting sea change as well, because I think that that has been in a lot of ways, I think because athletes, I think are realizing the power of their voices. Like I feel like uh, years ago, you really only heard from, you heard from the coaches and the coaches were the most important voice and it was always just going to be the coach. And right now, while the coach definitely has a lot of power um, and they can get their voice out there, there are many avenues now or many people that want to hear from the players. Like you want to hear a player's opinions on any number of topics they feel comfortable coming out there. And I think that that has kind of trickled down from the pros because these kids have grown, grown up seeing so many pros that they know and idolize doing this, that it's just become commonplace at this point. Um, and I actually think that that's a cool thing. I think that part of what college is for is for you to grow and learn um, and, and to figure out the way that you want to navigate life. And I think that I know that a lot of times that people, there are people out there that get uncomfortable with that and getting to hear from athletes, especially college athletes on various things. But I think that it's important that they're able to then get their voice out there and let their voice be heard. And especially in things that affect them. Um, like when we were talking about different social movements on campuses um, and different rallies and stuff, how they were treated during COVID, um, any number of things that come up um, with these college athletes. I think that that's a neat thing to see as well. Yeah, yeah, well, and you know, in every situation, I'm a, I'm on the side of the student athlete. I mean, I, I, I just think that it's, it's important to understand that the commitment they're making, uh, to do what they do, and and you know, I, I see these people that are cynical. It's like, well, they ought to be just happy with what they got. You know, they got a scholarship and they got this opportunity, and other people don't have that, and and. and they do have these opportunities and they do have scholarships and they do have some things that other students don't have, but they've also put in a commitment to do what it is they do. I mean, they, they don't, you know, their day schedule is much different than the average student at the university. So, so much different. <laughs> and, and the, you know, the, the regular student at the university um, can speak up they can say whatever they want i mean right. it's freedom freedom of speech right i mean they're university students they're there for reasons so um to learn and to have a voice and things so why should not student athletes have the same opportunity um what 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 would nullify their right to have that opportunity um because they're a student athlete because they have a scholarship uh, i don't think so i mean I had a scholarship 
in graduate school, I had a graduate school scholarship, but nobody said I couldn't have an opinion on something. Correct. Um, that was, you know, it, it, it's, it just seems reasonable and, and why it wouldn't be is beyond me. I mean, I, and again, I'm for the student athlete. And so when you talk about transfer portal and all that, uh, I'm in favor of that. If, if it benefits the student athlete somehow, I'm in favor of it. Coaches get paid a lot of money to figure these things out. So okay. if they got people transferring, that, that, you got to figure that out. I mean, that's why you're getting paid. You got to figure it out. Yeah, and it's interesting, too, that you mentioned that because that came up again this week. It comes up a lot, um, especially in football and basketball. But it came up in football. Um, I don't know if you guys listening caught the um, Greg Austin line about that and how he described that this past week. And I thought that that was fascinating, um, where he essentially said that, you know, you have to keep you're basically re-recruiting guys when they're on your team. to But you're also making it so that they feel um that they are uh, valued and that they know the plan and that they understand what's happening. Um, So like, so you have to understand that it's important to not only get those guys on campus and to get them um, bought into what you initially want to do, but you have to keep them engaged. Um, You have to have a plan for them. You have to know that they're valued. And I think that Greg Austin really nailed that when he talked about it this past week. And coincidentally, I then went and ran the numbers on offensive line transfers out of Nebraska since Austin and Scott Frost have been here. Um, And offensive line numbers are way down compared to, um, some other position groups. And I'm not saying that he's figured out some magical elixir, but at the same time, obviously the approach that he's had um, has definitely worked. And I'm with you. I think that I'm, I'm in favor of the transfer portal, but as I've also written um, in, in various forms or said, even probably on this podcast before, is that the only thing that I would put a caveat on that is, is that guys have to be careful what they wish for in a way, right? Like the, like the old saying of the grass is not always greener is, a, is an old saying for a reason, right? Um, and right. you just never know what you're going to get yourself into entering that portal thinking that you're going to upgrade your school or that you're going to go to even a school on the same level. Um, that doesn't, most of the time, does not work out that way. But in general, I am in favor of that, of that as well because I, I'm completely with you. Things that are um, beneficial to the student athlete, I am for because I think that for whatever reason, and there's a number of reasons probably, people are are very quick to want to have student athletes just not have a voice and not be able to move or not be able to do this or that simply because they have a scholarship. Like the amount of times that you just hear, oh, they, they should be happy with that scholarship. Yes, they should be happy with that. But as we've also detailed in various stories, and um, Aaron Sorensen wrote a great yearbook story, um, kind of chronicling Adrian Martinez's day and what goes into that. Um, if you haven't read that, um, take a look at that. I'll put it in the show notes because uh, I know we posted that online. Like it, it's very involved. <laughs> like it's yeah. sun up to sundown, um, and that's even before you get to you know what happens in season. Um, when you actually have games to play too. So that there's a lot that goes into that. Yeah. And, and the one thing sort of, I don't know how it fits in, but I think it's really important. And I see less and less of this, um, uh, the concept of team, you know, that, that the successful teams, like we mentioned with, with baseball, we mentioned with volleyball, the successful teams. And, you know, I think I see it developing in football is that, that, student athletes are able to set aside the concept of me 
and it's for the team. And if, if you know, if Greg Austin can, Austin can retain guys, part of it is I think that these guys have bought in or understand the importance of team. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's more and more difficult, I think, to develop that attitude in this day and age because you have seven-on-seven camps and you have quarterback coaches outside your right. – your collegiate program and you have um you have schools like img academy you know where kids go from high schools down there to do high school work so that they can enhance their situation like i I remember one of the junior college transfers i think it might have been carl hicks but uh it was one of nebraska's junior college transfers and he was an offensive lineman and he said he was he was, it was great to get to Nebraska from this junior college because at junior college, all the guys wanted to do was get to the next level. There was yeah. no team. Absolutely. There was no team to it. You know, you just, you just played for yourself to get to the next level, to get that scholarship level from that scholarship from a four-year school. And, you know, when, even at the four-year school or at the junior college level, somehow you, the successful teams are the ones that can develop that concept of, it's not just me, it's everybody. I think you see it with Alabama. You know, when, when you watch Alabama play in the national championship game or whatever, I think you see that team. Mac Jones, the quarterback, he, he waited his time. Oh, yeah. You know, in most situations, that doesn't happen. Especially at that position, that quarterback, that never happens yeah. anymore. <laughs> so obviously he understood that. So that's the one thing that sometimes if I say I'm for the student athlete, it does create – it can create a problem, which that's – that is what it is. Um, it can create that problem that it's me over team, you know, and so I can – you know, I'm not going to be a backup for two years before I get my chance. I'm going to go somewhere else. And like you said, somewhere else might look greener when, when you head there, but it might not be – Yeah, but it might not be. Um, and that actually brings it back full circle to the gritty beats pretty, right? Um, yeah. And now every week – uh, we end the show with my favorite segment every week uh, in the show called Put Them on Blast, where we basically put someone on blast for something that they did or said. Put them on blast. I'm going to, again, this is like the day of me throwing curveballs today. I am going to throw another curveball, and I'm going to actually go outside of sports because, you know, it's my show and I can. So I am going to put the Oscars on blast or the Academy uh, more specifically. Um, and that's what I've actually talked about this on the show. This, this uh, every year I watch, it's a big tradition for me and my wife, my um, dad and my stepmom also do this where we watch all of the Oscar movies or as many of them as we can. Um, and then we kind of do a little scorecard and we kind of try to pick our winners and we discuss all of the movies and all of that. This year, of course, being a little bit of the exception because it was just harder to see all of the movies with theaters being closed and all all the different stuff like there was just a lot happening with trying to see as many so i didn't see as many this year as as normally normally i see like when i see all of them like all of the best pictures all of the like actor and actresses categories and then we also do a thing um here at the ross um actually on campus um they do a thing where they have the shorts where they show them in like two hour blocks and so live action animated and documentary shorts um, I watched, we did actually go and do that this year um, and see all of those. Um, but so, so I'm very involved with this, that I say all of that to say that I'm very involved with, with the Oscars. So 
the production of the show this year was weird. Um, it felt like that they were trying to be different just for the sake of being different. Like the angles were weird. Um, they shot it as if it was supposed to be like in a theater, like motion was weird. Like it, it was just strange. And they said that they were doing this for the sake of bringing more people in. I feel like, and I've probably been like very involved with this for maybe 10 or 12 years. I feel like every other year they're talking about we need to do something to spice it up and to bring more people in. I feel like the Academy and the Oscars just needs to accept that they are a niche show. There's only going to be a certain segment of the population that really gets into this. I happen to be in this and that's fine. I don't think that it needs to be like this huge expansive thing. Um, just go ahead and, and put the show on for the people that really enjoy it. Um, they also switched the award order where it would match. Even if you don't watch the Oscars, you should probably know that they end the show with best picture. That just makes sense, right? They didn't do that this year. This year they ended with the actor and actress category, uh, which is a whole nother debacle because it felt like it was built up for Chadwick Boseman um, to win uh, for best actor for Ma Rady's Black Bottom, which was a very good movie based on a play. Um, and Chadwick Boseman obviously passed away tragically this year uh, from cancer or this last year, 2020. And so it felt like he was going to win. He did not. Anthony Hopkins won for The Father. Um, and so that was, it was just kind of a weird ending. So for all of those reasons, I am putting the Academy on blast uh, for that, even though there was a lot more diversity in the Oscars this year. That was good and appreciated. And there were a lot of like first time winners that, that were really cool. But overall, the show was kind of a mess for me. And so for that, they have to go on blast. So Mike, I have been, I always eagerly await who my guest of the week is going to put on blast. And I am eagerly awaiting for you as well. Who are you putting on blast? I, I'm Greg. I'm just going to make a very, very simple blast. And I, and yep. I think that it, it's so obvious to me that it's, there's no great insight involved in what I'm going to say. And that is the big 10 conference, which I can put a lot of big 10 conference on <laughs> the block for a lot of things as far as I'm concerned, but the big 10 conference is not having a Big Ten baseball tournament or a Big Ten softball tournament at season's end. Why is that? Because of the pandemic? There was there were basketball tournaments, right. and those were indoors. Baseball is outdoors. Baseball and softball are outdoors. They've had not a lot of problems with COVID during the baseball and softball seasons. Why is there not? a baseball and a softball tournament sponsored by the Big Ten before the NCAA. And there are practical reasons for that as well, because the schedules for the teams in baseball and softball have all been entirely Big Ten, no non-conference. You don't have that option. It's all Big Ten. Right. So how do you prepare for NCAA acceptance if you're only playing Big Ten teams and there's no opportunity to build up an RPI and the Big Ten baseball, I'm going to use it as an example because I follow it. You know, I'm the guy that follows it for Hale Varsity. I, I, I cover it, um, but I, pay I try to pay attention to softball um, as well. And, and I'm sure that the same thing is going there, but um, uh, how do how do you, get respect when there is no respect going into the season. I the last the let so far that to this point, I think the only team that has been in the rankings has been Michigan. 
Michigan dropped two out of three to Rutgers last week, so Michigan's probably going to drop out. Nebraska has been among those receiving votes in a, in a couple of the polls. Um, but you're not in the top 25. You don't have a team in the top 25. You don't have a postseason tournament. You don't have non-conference games. How do you establish, you know, how many Big Ten teams are going to qualify for the NCAA baseball tournament? Or how many Big Ten teams are going to qualify for the NCAA softball tournament? Probably not very many because how do you build up a resume when you don't have any non-conference games and you don't have a conference tournament and your entire season is conference games? It just doesn't make sense to me why that was the case. You know, why that decision was made to not have postseason baseball and softball tournaments when you had basketball. Um, it, it seems like a safer outdoor event um, and you're not doing it. And, it, you know, is that, is that, uh, is it an economic thing? Is that what you're trying to sell it as? Or, you know, what's, I don't think basketball because of the pandemic wasn't any great uh, uh, money raiser, although TV, uh, you had TV revenue. Uh, but uh, that's my, you know, I, that's, that's bothered me, you know, that uh, there is not a postseason uh, conference tournament for baseball or for softball, um, because I think that those, again, those student athletes deserve that opportunity. Yeah, I, I, I definitely think they deserve that opportunity. I do. I, like, I can't disagree with anything that you said, but I think that the practical reason of, like, getting them ready for hopefully being able to qualify for the NCAA tournament, I think it's a big deal as well. But I think that putting the NCAA on blast is always in favor around here or putting the Big Ten on blast, which is they've had their share of missteps over the last year. Um, they just definitely need to continue to be taking the task uh, for the actions that they've had as well. That'll do it for the show this week. Uh, subscribe to the podcast everywhere that you can listen to them. Rate us and leave us a five-star review. If you only leave four, I'm inclined to think you're a hater and nobody wants that. Uh, make sure that you're checking out the other podcasts on the Hale Varsity Network, the Mind Your Own Podcast, Varsity Club, the Nebraska Preps Post Game Show, and the Hale Varsity Radio Show. And make sure that you're also checking out the Hale Varsity YouTube page. We post a lot of good content over there, including including uh, my recru recruiting question video of the week um, that goes live every Monday with myself and Aaron Sorensen. I will catch you again next week. A Media Production.